How many different ways can you serve your clients right now? Now, if you're a service provider like me, you're probably thinking, well, I can trade some time for money and that's how I work. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But my guest today, Diana Mayfield, has a hybrid model that you are really going to be interested in. Now, Diana grew her SaaS copywriting business to six figures and eventually got to a point where she wasn't scalable and she was getting really burned out. So now she's transitioned to this new hybrid model where she helps small businesses become the authority in their niche through her digital PR expertise. And she's also working less while actually making more money. So, so many tips in this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Well-Paid Creative Podcast, where we discover how to run a profitable and satisfying creative business. I'm your host, Gabrielle Chipier, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned in my 17 years as a creative pro, building my own business from barely scraping by to thriving. From attracting quality clients to charging what you're worth and creating amazing work you love without the risk of burnout and overwhelm. But I don't know it all, so in this podcast, we're going to learn a lot together as I interview experts and reflect on my own experiences, both the good and the bad. Before we dive into the show, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, hop on over to wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. All right, let's dive in. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today I have Diana Mayfield with me today. I'm super excited to get started with her. She owns a company called Pitch and Profit, and she has an amazing story. I can't wait to share with you guys. Welcome, Diana. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Perfect. All right. So tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit more about you, how you got to be where you are today. Yeah. So I have loved writing since I was, you know, seven years old and I didn't come from like a professional family family. So I didn't like have a sense of how I could turn that into a career. I always thought, um, you know, it's like the starving artist mentality, right? Where it's like you separate the idea of creativity from money. You know, I didn't know about marketing, didn't know that businesses need and hire creative people. So did secretarial work and things like that. And then when I was 27, I was a stay at home mom and I had a daughter and I thought, I want to be able to show her that like you can get paid, you know, doing what you're good at and doing what you love. So I thought I'm going to figure out how to turn my love for writing into a business. So I started my copywriting business and started working with software companies Um, I hit six figures, you know, two years after starting the business, which was awesome. Uh, But then I quickly realized that I had created something that wasn't scalable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, last year I started thinking, how can I make something that um, that can scale and build something, you know, beyond myself? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And wow, hitting six figures in two years is really fast. So definitely applauding you for that. And you're right. You just kind of get to the point where you can't take on any more. There's really no more room for growth, so to speak, other than say, you know, raising your rates or, you know, some of these almost stopgap measures. Right. So what did you do in order to scale your business past, you know, just you doing the writing for your clients? Yeah. So, um, last year I thought, 
okay, I want to, you know, try to make a course. Like I just sort of instinctively knew that I would love it. Like the creativity of making the videos kind of like, you know, dissecting information, making, you know, things kind of systematized in how you like take someone on a learning journey. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make a course. And one of the ways that I um, grew my business initially and got clients initially was through cold email. And a lot of service providers don't want to do cold email because they think, you know, it's spammy or it's like gross or it's annoying. So I was like, I'm going to make a course about like my cold email process, right? Um, Because it's all about targeting the companies that you want to work with, getting those logos, getting those testimonials from them. And then it makes the inbound stuff easier. Mm -hmm. So I made my cold email course, but then I realized that I had kind of made something for a different audience because I was working with software companies as my copywriting service. And now I had just made a cold email course that was targeting freelancers and like it, it sold fairly well. It was only a $27 product and did like 8,000 in sales in just a few months, which is pretty good when you consider the volume you would need to hit that Mm -hmm. um, number. But uh, then the problem I came to was one, I realized that I wasn't passionate enough about cold email. And I was like, geez, I don't want to be known as like cold email expert, (laughs) even though it's helpful. And then two, I had made a course for a different audience. So then I got thinking, how can I have a horizontal niche? I looked around at like uh, creative female entrepreneurs who I was jealous of. (laughs) And I was like, what do they have in common? And they had horizontal niches. So I'm thinking of someone like Tarzan Kay, who's really well known for being an email strategist and copywriter. I'm thinking of Allie Bjork, who teaches people how to create tiny offers and self-liquidating offers. And I was like, what do I really love and what am I really passionate about? And I was like, it really comes down to like writing and storytelling and, you know, like brand building and something that I had really been working on and doing was digital PR for my business. Like cold email was the first way I got clients because it's kind of like a quick foundation and you're in control. You can go after people. But then I was like, what I quickly switched to was like building my authority, being seen as an expert, um, you know, guesting on podcasts, talking, you know, on summits, writing guest posts, writing contributor, contributor articles. And I was like, that's like what I love. And that's what I'm excited about. And I realized like I can um, teach that to freelancers, small business owners, bloggers and my software clients. So then I created a new course and uh, I launched it in January and I did get sales from those different audiences. Like I got a sale from a blogger, a software um, entrepreneur, a couple freelancers. So I was like, yes, like this is my horizontal niche and I love it and I'm passionate about it. So uh, I think something that I've learned that people need to think about is like, if you want to create a course, really like think of the trajectory of it, because I notice a lot of people create courses for business owners like them rather than their audience. I see this over and over again. It's like so many copywriters create a course on how to be a copywriter, how to get clients as a copywriter. And it's like an easy first leap, 
but you have to think like, is that really like, you know, the business that you want? Because then, I mean, if it is great, because we need people who teach us how to have these specific businesses, but it's also, it can only go so far because you're limiting your audience to people who want to be copywriters. Um, so anyways, I just think it's important to think of like, what, where is it going? Who are you creating the course for? And are you making life harder for yourself? Because if you create a course that could work for businesses like yours and your target clients that you're working with, then it's that much easier to sell and to create these packages. So you can have the service plus the course, which is what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I love that idea because I mean, a lot of the people in my audience tend to be creative. So they're doing what you were doing. You're, they're doing the writing and you could have gone one way. You could have taught someone how to build a writing business Mm-hmm. And you kind of sort of did in the cold email kind of part there. Mm-hmm. But then when you're actually, like you mentioned, going into a horizontal niche and instead of teaching them, you know, how to do what you do, but well, how, how can I phrase this rather than showing them how to build what you've built, showing them how to do what you do is a mm-hmm. completely different way of looking at this online courses. And I know a lot of say like a web designer, or a graphic designer is like, well, I don't want to teach a course on how to become a graphic designer, but I could teach a course how to create, you know, a really nice lead magnet or something like that. You know, one mm-hmm. of the tasks that I do for my client. So yeah. it kind of opens up a whole lot of different doorways. Yeah. And I think it's all about breaking your offers down into the done for you, done with you DIY, you know, mm-hmm. because if I'm a copywriter teaching somebody how to make a copywriting business, That's a completely separate business, right? From what I have. So you could extrapolate that for any type of service. But instead, if you break it down into, okay, the the course is my DIY version, right? So if you're a Pinterest manager, you offer done for you, you know, Pinterest services, you could have a course on setting up your Pinterest profile for the first time for the people that see your blog, see your social media stuff, but they can't afford your, you know, 500 or $800 a month, monthly fee for the management, right? So it could be, it doesn't have to be like this whole thing on every single Pinterest strategy. You could break it down into little yeah. things. Yeah, you know, not being afraid up. to, to mm-hmm. bite down, bite-sized little pieces, right? You don't have to give away the entire smorgasbord. You can give away like the entree as like yeah. not giveaway, but you can create a course around like the entree or some sort of training around that. Yeah. And break it down. And then that kind of also allows you to create like a value ladder and put courses into your value ladder. So that way you're not like hustling to make like this whole separate course business on the side. It's like your course can be part of your value ladder that if somebody buys that Pinterest initial, you know, set up quick start offer, then, you know, six months or a year later, they hire you for the services, right? Or they hire you for an audit, like, you know what I mean? Some other kind of done with you offer that you might have where it's like, you're going to do a few coaching calls to teach them how to do it themselves or whatever it is, they can kind of scale up that, um, that value ladder. So I think that, you know, having courses as like an introductory thing where you're making money from it. Plus you're bringing people into your audience, showing your expertise, building your future pipeline. I think that as like a creative person is 
um, the ideal way to like have a course business, you know, rather than feeling like now you're juggling two different things. This has been an absolutely amazing interview and I don't want to take you away from it, but I just wanted to let you know that I have a brand new guide that I think you're going to get a lot from. It's called the three pivots for creating and selling profitable packages. And I know it's going to be right up your alley. So if that feels like something that you want to work on, go to wellpaidcreative.com pivot and grab your copy completely free today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, and that was, I was just going to ask you about that. How do you manage the whole course side of your business? And then you also still have your business that you help, you know, business owners and you work one-on-one with them. So there's two very different models there. And I know a lot of people kind of mistakenly think, well, you have to be one or the other, you know, how do you kind of have that blend in your own business and make it work? Yeah. So I'm working on that now. And luckily I have sold a few spots um, in each package, but um, the packages that I'm working with, with this, this SEO PR concept, which we didn't dive into a lot, but basically a lot of people, you know, don't realize how much PR and SEO are connected. Now, the Mm, quickest way I could describe it is um, if you are just doing the onsite SEO and saying, okay, I'm an e-commerce website designer. You're just putting that on your website. That's the equivalent of tooting your own horn and nobody's backing you up. Where if you have, I mean, sorry, if you have PR, if you have Business Insider and you have podcasts saying you are the best e-commerce website copywriter, when I said website copywriter, (laughs) e-commerce website designer, (laughs) you're the best e-commerce website designer. That's the PR backing up the SEO. And Google says, oh, yes, this is the expert. I'm going to rank this person at the top so that anybody types e-commerce website designer, this person's bing at the top right? Mm -hmm. So that is the quickest way I could describe SEO and PR. It's backing up what you're claiming. Um, So that is like my my focus um, now. And so the way that I'm structuring this is I have a course that teaches you how to do this. And I have two packages that include the course. So one of them is I'm setting up your um, SEO foundation. So like, for example, Uh, One client I did this with is a cat sitting business in Mm. New York City. So they did not have like a good SEO foundation to even get the PR. So if they would have done the PR piece, the SEO wouldn't matter. I mean, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have paid off. Right. So my service part of this was doing the copywriting for their website. And then they also got the course so that the two women business partners So they're going to implement the PR piece themselves, learn how to pitch podcasts, learn how to pitch guest posts with those SEO tricks that you need to know to get the most out of the PR. So that's the one service package that I'm doing. And then the other one is training, doing more like hands-on training for teams that um, have a freelancer or an assistant that's going to do the PR pitching for them. So they already have the SEO foundations. That's typically not my small business market. That's like my software entrepreneur. A lot of people in software really get SEO because their ad clicks are so high. Like a Google search for, you know, CRM is like 
$40 per ad click. <laughs> so oh gosh, yeah. SaaS companies, <laughs> like, yeah. Like if you, if you click on a search ad for like jewelry, it's like a dollar, $2 a click. Most software, it's like between $20 and $40, if not higher per Google ad click, because Google knows that these key phrases are for, you know, thousands of dollars of annual, you know, sales value per year for each customer. So they charge more for them and people bid more for them. So software companies are really incentivized to do great at SEO. So they have the SEO foundation, but they might not have somebody on their team that's really great at the digital PR side. So they get the course that they can return to at any time. Plus I do, you know, hands-on coaching, which is the service side and kind of more of the strategy, like telling them, okay, these are the key phrases that you should have in your, you know, PR anchor tech stuff and, and kind of telling them like what outlets would be a good fit for them and answering questions and things like that. So, um, and it's really exciting because it's like, I can kind of raise the price of the service. I mean, of the package overall a bit because they're getting the course, but then it's like, I'm not doing that work, mm-hmm. you know, for, for making that every time. So it's like raising the value of the package, um, but reducing the work even just by, you know, 20, 30%. Oh, I love that. So did you get into the whole like PR portion of it? Cause I imagine when you were working for the software company is doing the writing, you were doing a lot of that SEO portion of it. Mm-hmm. Did you see that PR, um, kind of side of things as like an opportunity to get into, or did you have an experience where it was like frustrating and you were just like, Oh, I'm just going to start doing this myself. Like, how did that come about? Um, so I actually had kind of been downplaying like how much, um, digital PR I had been doing for my clients. Cause it was like more of a side thing, but, mm-hmm. um, I realized that for some of like my longest term clients, like I had been doing that like for years because, um, at the beginning of my copywriting business, I took an SEO like course. So I just kind of stayed abreast with SEO and I, like understood how much like backlinks matter. And I also understood that like PR is the most fun way to get those backlinks um, for your SEO pages, because a lot of people do backlinks by like just literally cold pitching bloggers, asking them to link to their stuff, which is like so tedious and boring or it's like, probably not very effective. Cause I've got yeah. all of those. Emails and oh, like, I know. It's like, <laughs> what? No, I, you have to do an insane amount of volume. It's usually only effective if you have like an infographic or, you know, some sort of like multimedia resource or like a headline analyzer, like some kind of like software, like resource in there. If it's not something like incredibly valuable, it's not going to be like a good strategy. But the digital PR side is such a much more fun way to get backlinks because you're getting your message out there. You are um, creating relationships, you know, because you can reach out to like non-competing companies in the same industry, right? Like a corollary, they serve the same audience, but with like a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. And make relationships. And then also you get content to post on social media, Right. So every time you do a podcast interview or a guest post or something that not only gives you that backlink, but it also gives you something to post on your social channels or work into an email nurture sequence. Right. If you have like a welcome sequence and you want to showcase yourself as the expert, you could put your best, you know, interviews and contributor articles in that nurture sequence. So it's like you're getting so much at one time. I love that. 
Wow. And you know what? It kind of reminded me of just how I got into marketing, the marketing side of things, because I was a graphic designer and web designer, and I would make these beautiful websites for my clients. And then they would be like, well, the website's not working. Like, well, no, the website's working fine. You're just not sending anybody to it. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have sales if nobody's going to your website. So I started getting into the marketing side. Well, how can I get people to these websites that I'm building? So kind of like following the breadcrumbs. And I love hearing about how people have done that in their own careers as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. That, That really is what led me to this is it's like, I had um, like, cause every client of mine wants more search traffic, right? Like they all, they all want more, like who doesn't want more free traffic from Google, right? right? <laughs> and it's like, I had the clients that understood the PR side and they've been, you know, paying me to help with guest blogging for years um, or, you know, having me pitch them to entrepreneurs, be a contributor, like, And then I had the clients that like, just don't get it at all. And it's like, no matter how much I'm like, we really need to drive backlinks. Like we can't just do the onsite SEO. It's like, they just do not want to invest in that for whatever reason. There's like still like a bit of a boring side when you say backlinks or there's like a disconnect Mm. or it's like an eh um, for some people. And it's like, you know, this idea that you have to be creating tons of content on your own site is not accurate. Like my copywriting website has five blog posts on it, but it ranks for SaaS copywriter, SaaS content writer, SaaS copywriting. And it's like, it's because of the digital PR piece. So it's like Mm -hmm. companies will be so much better off if they consider what are the, you know, five to 10 key phrases that would change my business. If I ranked for those, what would that do for me? So you're better off doing like 20% of your effort on your site and like 80% on these guest posts, podcast interviews to do, to rank for those Uh rather than write a blog on your website every week. And you're not getting those, those backlinks. So that's kind of why, you know, these two services that I, these two packages that include the course it's like for those two different audiences where it's like they either have the SEO foundation and they need to do more digital PR or they don't have the SEO foundation and they need to do more digital PR, but pretty much everybody needs to do more <laughs> digital more PR. PR. <laughs> I love how yeah. you said that tw- the 80, 20, right? Cause we all love the Pareto principle, right? Sure. So <laughs> 20% content, 80% PR and outreach. I yeah. Love that. yeah. Cause it's, there it's really true. Like you cannot just, just, you know, create these fun informational blogs on your site without doing any of that other stuff. I mean, you've probably seen that with different, you know, um, clients or companies where it's like, it could be this blog. I mean, this website with, you know, a hundred, 200 blog posts on it, but like no traffic. Yeah. And they're not ranking anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or pulling people in. Yeah. Well, and you have a great freebie that you were talking to me about earlier. Tell me about that. Yeah. So that is my SEO PR checklist. There are so many SEO checklists where they tell you what you need to do to your website, right? Like, okay, put your key phrase in the headline, put your key phrase in the meta description. So this checklist has all the SEO stuff you need to do, plus the PR stuff that you need to do for your important pages and blog posts. So you're not just doing 
one piece of the puzzle. Oh, I love that. Okay. I'm going to go download it right now. So I'm going to put the links down in the show notes here. So you guys can go grab yourself a copy of that. And wow, this has been so informative. I'm going to really up my PR game now. (laughs) Yeah. Up your PR game and pick what, you know, dream big, pick your, pick your uh, favorite key phrase that if you ranked for that, like that would, you know, bring in traffic plus just solidify your authority for that topic. You know, so that's why I think a lot of people, because they don't have the PR side, they're not dreaming big on the search side. Like who, yeah. what do you want to rank for? Cause you can do it. Don't count. Yeah, they're trying to out. like cast a wide net in trying to catch something rather than trying to land that big fish. Yeah. That's mm, it. That. Yeah. Okay. So I asked this question of everybody that comes on the podcast. Do you have a activity or a hobby that you do on your own time just for yourself? Hmm. Um, yes. Um, watercolor painting with my children. Um, I have two daughters. There's this subscription box called let's make art and they have one that's targeted for kids like five to 10 and it comes with four watercolor projects, um, a month. And what I love about it is it has a lot less bits like crafting subscriptions or degree things. And then it's like, you just throw all this away, right? All this, Mm. I don't know. There's just too much materials in crafting, right? Whereas the paint projects is we're going to have this type of paint for the whole four projects. And then it's just like paper. So I love having um, something artistic I can do with my kids and I do it with them and that it doesn't create a lot of like waste and trash. Mm, you know what? And I totally agree with you. I got my son the KiwiCo box there mm-hmm. for Christmas. I thought, oh, great, a craft kid. He loves crafting. But I was kind of disappointed with the amount of waste that, that is in it. Like the, the crafts are fantastic and the activities are great, but it is a lot of waste. So I'm definitely going to look up the let's make art. Let's kid. make art. Yeah. And it comes mm-hmm. with videos too. So it kind of feels like the kids are in a class. It's a 20 minute video for each project and the the teacher just kind of paints alongside and talks. And so especially during COVID, it kind of feels like they're in a class. It's really cute. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Diana. This was amazing. And everybody, you should go check out Diana. We're going to link all of her profiles and her website and that freebie she mentioned down below. So definitely go give her a follow and some love. Thanks again for joining me. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Well-Paid Creative. All the discussions we have around these episodes mean a lot to me. And I love how much I learn from the creatives who listen in. Before we head out, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, visit wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. Join me for the next episode as we continue discussing how you can grow and love a profitable creative business. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone you think would benefit. Thanks so much. See you soon.